Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson. Thank you for joining us today. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with Abe Meisenberg and David Achata, two uh, cornerstones in the in the Soma family, uh, who have who have now uh, gone on to to live in different places outside of Soma Tacoma, but but have had a, a lasting impact on our family. And they're going to be talking to us about gospel fluent leadership. And as, as they talk about that in this episode, I want to let everyone know that, that we are launching at Saturate a Gospel Fluent Leadership Coaching Cohort. Saturate always has cohorts running to help people understand uh, our missional ecclesiology and, and how to take your church and shift and lead it and, and grow it towards everyday mission, not just Sunday. And so we're launching for our first time ever just a cohort specifically focusing on gospel fluency and leadership. It, it has yeah, a whole lot of a guided experience through helping you as, as a pastoral leader grow in this area to actually put the gospel in every part of your church culture, uh, which we believe is essentially the, the cornerstone, the gateway. Uh, you can even imagine all of the stuff that we talk about with life on life, life in community, life on mission. Uh, missional communities that's typically it's, it's like 75% of the work is, is growing in the gospel and being fluent in the gospel and, and creating a gospel rich community and then 25% of it is oh man if all that's true how would we live how would we live on the mission and the purpose of the gospel uh, and so I can't encourage you enough uh, to jump into this cohort it has 19 meetings it spans seven months but i know it'll be an incredibly rich time so check that out you can go to saturatetheworld.com look underneath coaching and you'll be able to find it pretty easily uh, there's a video explaining it all sorts of great stuff saturatetheworld.com slash coaching click on the gospel fluent cohort and with that let's jump into today's episode this is the saturate podcast Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Well, welcome to the podcast, guys. So happy that you're here. Uh, David and Abe, uh, it feels like it's a power team conversation today as we talk <laughs> about gospel fluent culture. So thanks for joining me. Great to be here. We're, we're not like the real power team, you know, they, they smash things, but we just, we think of things. Well, I, I suggest that as a new approach for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that'd be great for coaching with all your clients, David, if you could just bend some metal at the very beginning. <laughs> and, and Abe, as you work at the crossings, if you could just, you know, tear up a few phone books, you know, right at the... Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right now I'm working with a, a company in Nashville and um, sometimes I get to work with manufacturing managers and they always joke with me because I don't eat I don't eat meat. We'll go out to a steakhouse and I'll be like, Hey man, the salad bar is great here. <laughs> they're like, Oh, come on. Aren't you going to be a real man? And, um, wow. and I just straight up and we're joking of course, but I'll, I'll hold up my hands and I'll say, guys, these hands weren't made for lifting heavy, heavy objects or hurting anybody. 
you know, <laughs> than for other things like holding PowerPoint remotes, that kind of thing. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah. My grandfather always looks at my hands and says, those are really good writer pastor hands, aren't they? <laughs> oh, man. And I said, no, they're good podcast hands. Yeah, uh, podcast hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, that was a great. That was a great segue to the topic for today, <laughs> right? Uh, which is about leadership cultures. I think, yeah, even the steakhouse, that's depicting something about a leadership culture <laughs> that exists for sure. <laughs> but yeah, we want to talk about uh, gospel fluent leadership and specifically even just church leadership cultures. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully through this conversation, we can just help people see how the gospel uh, is actually... Uh, not just a great add-on to any sort of leadership style, but it's actually like the the root and the basis and the end of all uh, mm-hmm. leadership growth and the way to lead and be be the church. But I guess to start with the problem, uh, what's wrong with church leadership cultures? Is there something wrong? Uh, what do these kind of errors lead to? What are the <laughs> issues? What's at stake with fixing and making a gospel-fluent culture? Yeah, Brad, I, I think that uh, one of the big problems that we face is um, we're just so practical. Years ago, I sat in on an interview. I think it was KP O'Hannon and and somebody raised their hand and they said, you know, what should we do? What we're doing in our, in our, in our culture is just not working. Mm-hmm. And he said, he's from India, I think. And he, he said, oh, you Westerners. You're so practical. Mm. <laughs> he goes, whatever happened uh, to walking with Jesus and being faithful to him, you know, mm. despite the, the practical outcome. And I think that, you know, a major issue that, that we all face in any culture is we're, we're going to veer toward rules and orders and strategies and away from relationship because we we've kind of taken the pill that says you are what you do, you are what you produce, you know, our friends, uh, Jim Cofield and Rich Plass, they say it like this. They say, you know, all of the discipleship journey is about learning to move from mistrust back to trust. If we as leaders are living from a place of mistrust, like we don't feel safe, we don't feel like we have solid status then we're going to do the stuff that practically objectively produces stuff mm-hmm. so that we can in a way earn a place. And, you know, the problem that creates is that is actually quite the opposite of the way of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus did the most impractical things, <laughs> you know, you know, like he, in Mark, one of my favorite texts in Mark one is he heals an entire village and his disciples the next, you know, that night or the next day, they say, everyone's looking for you. And he says, let's go somewhere else. They find him behind the bushes, Hmm. you know, praying by himself. And, you know, it's like any of us would have said at that moment, yeah, like it's on, let's go for it. But Jesus said, let's go somewhere else. You know, I was sent here for a different reason. And so Hmm. that's really impractical, but I think that just showed Jesus was living from a place of security in his status and his in his identity, and I think he's the picture of what we need to learn to reproduce as as leaders, as people who are secure, people who are emotionally healthy, mm. and therefore people who can learn to reproduce more disciples who are like that. 
you know, something that I think is key in terms of diagnosing the problem of what's wrong with, with church leadership is I feel like we are still really stuck on the importance of position, mm-hmm. gaining a sense of our identity and our worth and our value and our significance through a title or through the amounts of organizational authority mm-hmm. that we have. And Jesus speaks directly against that understanding of positional authority and the worth and the value and the significance that comes along with having having a position or a title of status and contrast leadership in the kingdom uh, by saying whoever would be great among you must be your servant mm-hmm. and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Right. It's the way it is in the world. It's not going to be that way in the kingdom of God. And I think the, the notion of true shared leadership, which I've had the huge privilege of, of experiencing and of being a part of at two different churches over the last you know dozen years, uh, it, it truly requires every person who's involved in the leadership structure mm. to be rooted enough in their, in their gospel identity to be able to open up their hands and say, my my worth, my value, my significance is not connected to the title I have, uh, the the position that I hold in this organization, and how people perceive me. I'm going to walk out the gifts and talents and skills and abilities that God has given me as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter, and I can hold these things with open hands and and in a sense, you know, kind of be be the best person that God mm-hmm. has created me to be, and not worry about trying to gain my my significance through something else and and that runs deep yeah it runs deep probably in every culture but certainly in american culture it runs very deep and i think that's a huge problem that truly only the gospel can address mm-hmm. right i think that that's some of the the deep ironies of a lot of like church leadership cultures are all the the message and the songs uh, and the branding, all of it's about like Jesus and how he's for us and the grace of God and all of that stuff. But then when it gets down to the, the doing of the work, it tends to be status-based or performance-based, right? And, and kind of like a blend of those to where, yeah, the way, the way to gain status is doing everything perfectly and fearing the people that do have status, right? Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. how is the gospel key? Or, or why do we need gospel-fluent leadership? Well, the gospel transforms our hearts. And the heart is the, the motivational center of our being. Hmm. And if I am motivated by anything other than a response to what hmm. Jesus Christ has done for me, through his life, death, and resurrection, if I'm motivated by anything other than that, then I'm going to go sideways. It's, it's not going to be the fruit that's going to get produced is the deeds of the flesh from Galatians chapter 5, not the fruit of the Spirit. As, as humans, we're, we're always needing to, in essence, sort of check our motives and walk by the Spirit and let the Spirit convict us. And 
you know, walk out repentance and faith on a regular basis, but the stakes of leadership are, are high Mm -hmm. and are, it is imperative for us to, to regularly, you know, assess our own motivation um, because I think we're, we're doubly tempted to be motivated by anything other than the gospel. Mm -hmm. In a sense, for leaders, it's it's twice as hard <laughs> to to be rooted in the gospel with your motivation because, uh, again, as we said before, leadership holds allure of power and prestige and significance and worth and glory. There's another yeah. word um, <laughs> that the average person doesn't face to the same degree, mm. and so we have got to deeply root ourselves in in the gospel for the sake of not just our own health, though that's certainly true. Um, but, but for the sake of, of those, those that we're leading. So we are, Hmm. the gospel is, is, is in a sense, it's, it's one analogy, no analogy is perfect, but it provides a bit of a guardrail uh, for us to not head off into you know, the ditches of either legalism where we're highly authoritarian uh, or, or license where we're highly permissive. The gospel keeps us, keeps us on the path of grace and truth. Yeah. And I think this is, this is really important to highlight, you know, Abe and, and Brad, because scripture is really concerned about your heart, your character and your, and your motivations for why you're doing things. Whereas, you know, our scorecard in our world is not really about that. It's about other stuff. You know, like I I was just talking to some leaders about who needs to be in on a particular cohort that we're launching with saturate. And I I was sharing with them based on their goals, the type of person they might need to, Mm. to get in it. I, I think I said something like elder quality character type, type of, influencers and people because they're trying to gain some leadership alignment. And I said, you know, people who would be true to the the characteristics we see in Timothy and Titus about people have good character, good relationship with outsiders. So, you know, if you study all those qualifications, it's only one competency. Mm -hmm. It's able Mm -hmm. to teach all the rest is character stuff. And so scripture is really trying to get us back to, Paying it, people who know how to pay attention to what they're paying attention mm-hmm. to. I could elaborate on that, but I think it would take <laughs> away from how powerful it is. <laughs> you know, we've got to learn to pay attention to what we're, what we're paying attention to. And when we can do that, I think that it gets us down to the work of Christ, you know, who wants to change our hearts, which is like one of the major themes in all scripture is God is concerned about changing mm-hmm. people's hearts. Yeah, that that is pretty profound. Paying attention to what we're paying attention to. Yeah, that's pretty epic. Well, I worked with a spiritual director over the last couple of years because I got pretty messed up. There's some hard stuff that happened to me, and really great guy, retired Episcopal priest, I think maybe maybe Anglican. All those guys blend together for me, so I can't remember actually. <laughs> but um, but amazing guy. One of the first things he did was he read me the story of Moses on holy Mm. ground, uh, on the mountain with the burning bush, all that. 
and the text says that God noticed that mm-hmm. Moses turned aside. Right. So in other words, God noticed that Moses noticed. Mm-hmm. That was the key <laughs> factor he was trying to highlight to me. He was like, we look at this story and we're like, wow, Moses met God and he gave him a mission. But that's not how it started. God was yeah. looking for a man mm-hmm. that noticed. Mm-hmm. And he found Moses and he began his work um, on behalf of Israel with the beginning story like that is and like, how would that change for us if we found leadership teams based on a entry qualification that they notice things? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> That's <absolutely>. really different. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. And it's even, I think that, yeah, kind of like what we're getting to is just, it's not that the bar of leadership within the church is substantially different than culture. It's that it's like higher or lower. It's that it's like a completely different bar or whatever, you know, like I I think a lot of times we think, Oh, like there's just, you know, over here to be president of the United States, you have these qualifications and to be a pastor, you have, you have these, but they're basically, it's just like where you put that, that bar of how, Mm -hmm. how good they need to be. Yeah. But, but truly it's like, that's a completely different calling entirely that resembles even a lot more, like even as Paul describes leadership, it's almost like this, you're, you're supposed to be doing this downward spiral into being like the chief of repenters, the chief of sinners, <laughs> like the chief of like right. grace receiver, right? Like to be a leader is to say like, I need a lot of grace and to, to do the downward walk of like, no, I, I'm, I'm not great. Jesus is, is great. And, and to be like pushing other people up and serving other, like to take that approach or I don't know, kind of like the cross form view of leadership where that, because that's what Jesus did surrendering uh, all of his status, surrendering all of his position of adoration, becoming a man humbly serving, following someone else, following the father to the point of death for us and for his own glory in the end. But I think that that's a view of leadership that's completely counter to everything else we're looking for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who just, who notices that is, is quite remarkable. Mm, Right. And freeing to the people around them. Brad, that reminds me of another reason why I think the gospel is so important for leadership. And that is that the gospel story and living in the gospel story is a constant reminder for us of the reality of the transcendent, that what we're doing is not just about the here and now. And we need to continually be caught up in, in the gospel story in order to be reminded of that. and that perspective will radically change the way that we lead. Mm -hmm. It will change the way we treat people. Mm -hmm. It will change the things that we value. It will change the way we evaluate the effectiveness and the fruitfulness Mm -hmm. of our labor. We will count different things. We'll measure different things when we realize that this is not merely about just the here and now, Mm -hmm. this is a transcendent, eternal creation, fall, redemption, restoration work Mm -hmm. that we're caught up in, that we're a part of. And, and it truly is the gospel story that reminds me of that. And, and again, therefore changes the way that I, that I interact with people. Hmm. 
Abe, can I ask you a question about something? Sure. You know, in there, I, th- I think it's really good to highlight again that it doesn't mean you don't measure things. And it doesn't mean you don't, you know, have some kind of metrics by which you hold people to or you, or you gauge how well you're doing. Mm-hmm. But you said a minute ago something great that the gospel changes what you measure. Mm-hmm. I, it'd be really helpful if you're willing to share a little bit from your perspective about a gospel-centered uh, leadership measurements. Mm. Um, like what what are some things that you're looking for as you look to gauge your success as a leader in reproducing healthy disciples in terms of the types of things you'd, you'd measure? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And we could probably do a whole podcast on that. It's a longer conversation. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, my, my brief answer would be that over the years, we've developed this this notion that that there's really two kinds of things that we should count. One is around faithfulness. Mm-hmm. We can and should measure uh, the hours we work in a week, for example. That's mm-hmm. really important. Regardless of what a person's job is, if they are a follower of Jesus, according to Colossians 3, they're working for Jesus and they're to do their work heartily as for the Lord. And so we can measure the time we put in. We can we can measure the number of training opportunities that we planned and executed for our leaders in a 12-month period of time. Mm. But then rather than going to sort of what the next like logical thing to measure might be, which would be like attendance, mm-hmm. and you still should take attendance. But if you go, well, we planned six and we got 95% attendance of our leaders done. You, you want, I, I believe <laughs> that living in the gospel story invites us to go, wait, wait, no, no, this is about transformation. Mm-hmm. This is about bearing fruit that lasts. Yeah. This is about leaders getting equipped. And so we can measure what we can, what we can count, like what we can control and faithfulness. Did we plan and execute, you know, X number of trainings in a year, but then what are the faith things we want to measure Mm. things we actually can't control Mm -hmm. now in a sense you can't really control how many come uh but (laughs) there's some good carrots and sticks to use yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) let's move to to, you know how many of our groups uh multiplied this year Mm -hmm. like is our training pointed in that direction how many of our groups saw someone come to faith Mm -hmm. this year like let's move into the realm that we actually don't have control over and let's measure, you know, faithfulness and faith that mm. which we cannot control. And it incur- the gospel calls you to go beyond just counting who showed up and and in a sense like welcomes you and dares you at the same time to say no, what would prayerful faith call you to count? Mhm. It's great. Yeah, that's really yep. good. Yeah, that that's a that's a big shift that I think gets to a really key part of just if you're going to depend on the gospel for everything, including leadership, then it's going to lead you to things that you can't control that are your goals, right? And like mm-hmm. lead you to prayer as a primary like function of the way that you lead. Absolutely. 
we want people to be transformed through these trainings. Like your ability stop at that point, right? Like to, right. to transform people for like a lasting fruit. That's totally different than building a training where you get someone to cry at some point. But like getting building a training or a leadership model, an equipping, a mentorship, a coaching where people are lastingly transformed. Like that's the work of the spirit, which is causes more dependence. Yeah, that's good. People might be asking, and we're kind of hitting there with some of these specifics, but maybe if there's there's more to add on, kind of a, what are the characteristics of a gospel fluent culture? What are what are some of like stories or examples of that? Well, some things that come to my mind uh, when I think about gospel fluent leadership culture, and I should say I'm from a relative standpoint, I'm relatively new to leading in a gospel-fluent leadership culture. I'd say it's been the last you know, 10 or 12 years mm. and led for almost a decade before in a church culture that valued the gospel, but I wouldn't say it was gospel-fluent. Mm. But some things that that I've seen that are really valuable are leading with vulnerability, James five seventeen, confess your sins one to another, I'm a bit of a contrarian when it comes to some of the conventional wisdom on on what you can hope for in terms of real relationships with the people that you lead alongside, because some of the conventional wisdom is you can't really have deep relationships mm. with the people you're leading with. You, you can only have deep relationships with people outside of your organization. Ever since Bible college, I've been stubborn about that and just said, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to try to go all in mm-hmm. with at least, at least some. <laughs> yeah. I remember telling a a friend in Bible college, I need a couple guys who are sitting out in the audience when I'm up there on the preaching, when I'm up there on the stage preaching, who truly know my stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and who can call me on it and say, bro, what you're bringing, like, you're not living it. I'm going to call you out on that. Yeah. And certainly my wife does an amazing job of that too, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also helpful to have brothers. And so frankly, just being vulnerable with the people that you lead with and, you know, certainly there's there may be some healthy boundaries there depending on the dynamics and the nature of the relationships. But but man, there should be, you know, a person or two or three with whom when you come into the office and they say, hey, how are you doing? Or you meet for coffee or you meet in a home and someone who's in your leadership circle says, hey, how are you doing? You have an actual real answer. Mm. You can share how you're being tempted to sin and you can share your discouragements and and you can share, you know, frankly and appropriately about the disagreement that you had with your wife that morning and why you're going to be off for the rest of the day until that issue gets resolved and that those are your least favorite days at work. And <laughs> you, you've got to have people that you work with that you can be vulnerable with. And, and the gospel invites us into that vulnerability because the gospel gives us the resources of the righteousness of Christ with which we can be robed and we can say, Hey, I can, I can be vulnerable with you uh, because I've already been vulnerable with God and his opinion matters more to me than yours does. And he's already fully accepted me. And so even if you don't, I still have the ultimate acceptance that I need, which therefore emboldens me to, to be vulnerable because mm-hmm. it is a risk. That's great. Yeah, one one thing that I was thinking, Abe, you know, maybe a way to summarize um, some of the answer to the question, you know, like what are some stories of what gospel fluent leadership looks like? 
I think it could be summed up in healthy relationships. I think that that's the word right there, healthy relationships in God's order, which again, in 1 Corinthians 1, we see that God uses the weak things of the world. Mm. And that makes sense, you know, because when you're weak, you, you've got to reach out to a strength source. Mm. So I think, you know, there's been a lot of great writing by people like uh, Brene Brown on vulnerability a lot of people have benefited from. And I think that the the supplement that we probably could bring to this as church leaders is, but then what? Like, what do you do once you got vulnerable? And I think the answer is you learn to lean on Christ and on each other together. That's what you do. There's an organizational psychologist that I've had the privilege to interact with a little bit and as I've kind of had to get trained and learn and some I work work in the corporate world and his name's um, Edgar Schein, wrote a lot of really neat books. He's got to be in his mid-80s now. He's been doing this for many years. And what Edgar Schein says is that, uh, and this is not to take a stab at you, Brad, or you, Abe, or anybody, period, <laughs> but he says uh, we should never use the word culture, actually. And the reason he says that is because he says culture puts the issue out there and he said, really, what we should be doing is looking at relationships. You know, like when we look at our, you know, to use those big words, organizational culture. <laughs> <laughs> really, what we're trying to say is my relationship with mm-hmm. you. <laughs> that's what we're that's yeah. what we're trying to say. And when we can bring it down to the micro level of how am I mm. with you? And if there's an issue there, how can we come to a place where we can go there together and work on it, knowing who God is, knowing what he's done through Christ, how that affects our status um, with each other and with him. We're all beggars. We're all a mixed bag. We're all a mess in our own unique ways. But if we can learn to own that and go to Jesus together, that's real strength. And, you know, when I look at stories of gospel fluent leadership, Again, I'll not use the word culture, but gospel fluent <laughs> leadership that expresses itself in relationship. Um, you know, like my my co-planter here in Chattanooga with uh, Steve Gervasi with Kairos uh, Communities. You know, we regularly get together and we take a walk and he'll ask me questions like, hey, how was your relationship with your dad? You know, how do you think that informed how you view God? How do you think that informs how you relate with other men? Mm. Hardly anyone does that. That's amazing. And, and then he'll say something like, and, and how do you think that, that informs how you interact with me? Like, that's so vulnerable to even ask that question. And then on my part to have to answer it, and then to actually have to ask mm. the same thing back to him. And what that does between us is it helps us develop a vulnerable, open relationship where we learn to go to Jesus together. And one of Steve's favorite things to say is, hey, man, let's go find Jesus together. <laughs> let's find him. Like, that's amazing. You know, like I, I pastored in a traditional context for years before I went into church planting or, or any of this other stuff I've described. I don't remember anybody ever doing that with me. And that's, this is not to talk down on anybody. I just don't remember that that was mm. really the focus of the conversation. The focus of the conversation was, how can we grow this thing? Yeah. That was it. And that's, that's really different than healthy gospel fluent relationships. Yeah, any and that that really kind of points towards and a lot of our conversation has is, is you know the ways to grow in gospel fluent leadership 
yeah, what are ways that, how can people grow at this? Like people listening to this, it's like, oh, I just need to get inside their heads or how can I grow up in this area? To circle back on some things that Abe said, I think a lot of it has to do with looking to who the one or few people are in your life that you can really share the depths of um, what's going on inside mm-hmm. of you. I think we got to practice that. I had an instance recently where I was coming back from a, a work trip and I had something that happened to me and I was thinking through like mm-hmm. who I should call and, and process it with. I had like six people that I, I went through my head and I was just sitting there thinking, wow, I'm so thankful. I can call all these people and talk about yeah. these things. It's not secret. And um, my good friend, neighbor, he's a part of a missional community. His name is Jonathan. He's, he reached out to me and he said, hey, man, I know you've been traveling. We haven't talked a lot. Man, do you just want to get together for coffee before this next trip? I just want to make sure that you know we're able to catch up and do some praying together. Mm-hmm. You know, that's real, that's real practice. It's not meeting-based. It's real relationships. So I, I'd say number one is we've got to find rhythms of practice, a real relationship like that. And, you know, circling back to the dirty word, you know, of culture, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, one thing I learned uh, from my good friend, uh, Todd Moore, was, you know, if you're going to see any culture transition into a gospel fluent culture, you need three things. You need to learn to tell new stories, tell new stories, speak new language, and provide new experiences. And, you know, when we look at new stories, what that means, like coming back to what Abe said, the things that we highlight, they really point to the things that we value. So we've got to change the things that we talk about with our friends, with our co-leaders, with our broader churches, tell different stories. We've got to speak new language, which, which oftentimes means redefining old language. Like what is the church? You know, is it a place or is it a people? What is a disciple? Is it a curriculum or is it a person who's learning to bring their whole life under the Lordship of Christ or new experiences? You know, like we say we want to value gospel fluency, being centered in the gospel. Okay. Well, are we going to provide space for it? Mm. You know, are we going to, are we going to reallocate how we organize our church so that people could be gospel fluent? So I think those are just some lightning quick ideas about how people can grow in this. But I think at a micro level, it comes down to relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are there people in our lives that we can reach out and go go deep with? Like in our gospel and leadership cohort um, that we're just about to start launching, mm-hmm. one of the exercises in there is take a survey of your relationships. How many close ones do you have? Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot of them, why is that? What do, what do you attribute that to? If you don't have a lot of them, why is that? And what do you attribute that to? Mm. And what we're trying to help people see is that the way that we relate to God, we will reproduce in our relationships with other people. And so if you don't have a lot of close relationships, it kind of reflects on uh, potentially your, your walk with God. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to be distant. He wants to know you, be close mm. to you. You know, like Abe and I were just talking about an issue I've got um, right before this call. <laughs> and one of the things that Abe said to me was, brother, I want to encourage you, go to Jesus, mm. pour out those emotions, let him meet you and minister to you about that. Mm. And, and, and the thing is, is if I'll do it, which I will, <laughs> if, I, if I'll do that, 
it's going to make me a more tender person who can dwell with other people in their own, you know, brokenness, their own pain, their own swirl of emotions, because Christ has, has done that with me and I've, I've done that with him. Hmm. So practically that's what, that's what comes to my mind. And I think that really underscores the most important aspect of, of growth in any hmm. spiritual facet any spiritual expression when we talk about growth it's got to be fueled by by faith we're talking about growth in gospel fluent leadership therefore it's growth in the gospel which is going to begin with a deepening of our faith and so you know not not to like overly simplistic or to talk about something that we talk about all the time but david will grow as a leader when he brings hurts and pains and cares to jesus right yeah that's right and so feasting with Jesus, feasting on Jesus, mm-hmm. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, mm-hmm. meeting Jesus on the pages of scripture. Scripture is not for information. It's for transformation. Um, sitting, listening to the Holy Spirit, inquiring of the Lord, praying, practicing silence and solitude, hearing mm-hmm. the Father affirm that we are dearly beloved children, purely on the basis of what Jesus has done. Any kind of practical change that we make, I have practical ideas about how we can grow. It's got to be rooted in faith and a deepening of our faith in in the work of Jesus for us, a, a, a growing of the reality of the gospel mm-hmm. in our lives. And of course, out of that flows a changing of our what relational dynamics. David, not our culture. But <laughs> that's right. So, a couple like key ways, and this is kind of jumping back a little bit to gospel fluent culture, but it also really is just a practical thing of like how you can grow. Um, again, this has got to flow out of the good news. But a few years ago, when my wife and I were spending time with Rich Blass and Jim Cofield, those brothers said to me, they said, Abe, twice a day you need to ask yourself, how am I feeling? Mm. You need to answer with emotional words. <laughs> and then at least once a day, you need to ask someone else how they're feeling. Mm. And so I, I brought that practice back to our team. We lived in Tacoma at the time. We're part of Soma Tacoma. And I started practicing that with my DNA guys and practicing that from time to time with our staff and, and even at times with our missional community. And it made everyone uncomfortable right away. <laughs> and, and But I was stubbornly persistent with it. And now here in Huntsville, I lead a team of five of our staff people. And and we pr- every week when we meet for our, our little micro staff meeting, just for our team, we start with that question every week. And it made them very uncomfortable for, for a little while, a few months. And now they love it. Hmm. Yeah. And it's really rooted in this reality that as image bearers of the living God, we are emotional beings. Mm. And the fall, of course, affects the totality of who we are, which includes our emotional reality. Hmm. But though our bodies may fade, our souls will be renewed day by day. Right. And, and if we read the Psalms, we find this incredible example of you know the, all these different authors who are bringing their their emotional reality, but they're bringing it before God, mm-hmm. and and so their emotions aren't their God. 
God is still their God, but they're very honest about where they're at. And, and that's a, a bit of a window into their soul. And in, in a sense, it, it helps them connect with God at a, at a heart and soul level by saying, you know what, I'm really angry right now, or I'm depressed right now, or I'm scared out of my mind right now. And so we, we practice that in, in Tacoma and we practiced it here and, and it deepens people's awareness of, of course, their own emotional reality. But more than that, it deepens their awareness of the emotional reality of, of our savior and the emotional reality of our father, because he comes and he ministers to us in those places of, of what, whatever the, whatever the emotions are that we're experiencing. I don't know how else to say it other than. Like Jesus becomes more real to us in those moments when we share those things with mm. one another with an awareness that, of course, God is, is very much still God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. Yeah, so many things I'd love to add to that, but probably mm. would take away from how good it is. <laughs> and I'll just say, you know, this conversation to me has suddenly breathed life back into me. You know, and I think, I think that mm. we know we've stumbled into the world of good news when we feel like we can breathe again, you know, mm-hmm. like Jeff says all the time, he goes, the difference between, you know, you know, you're, in, you, you've stumbled into the gospel when it feels too good to be true. That just feels so full foolish. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a difference between foolishness and bad news. Mm-hmm. You know, some people say I communicated the gospel and people, mm-hmm. people, they, they hated me, you know, they, they, they swore at me, but gospel is <laughs> foolishness. <laughs> Jeff says, um, no, 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 no. That's bad news. That's not foolishness. And it does sound foolish that the, the king of heaven, the creator of all things, cares about my happiness, my sadness. You know, he cares about my emotions, my relationships with friends, with, with my spouse. And when you hear that, if it breathes life into you, you probably stumbled into the world of the gospel. And um, as leaders, I think that we need to be the ones who are able to lead the way to breathe life into people. Like I got to talk with with Pete Scazzaro a couple months ago, maybe last year, about a series we we released. And he was like, what else is there, really? (laughs) You know, like the stuff we're talking about with a healthy disciple, what else would we actually want to focus on? And it just reveals the brokenness of our world that I think that the good news of Jesus helps us find um, the the tools, the motivation, the ability to sustain a life where we're able to breathe life back into people. And I think that, you know, like Tim Keller says, if our churches aren't full of the types of people that were attracted to Jesus, then we may be preaching a different Mm -hmm. message than Jesus was. And if we can... You know, mm-hmm. like my good friend Rusty Langford in Cleveland, a church planner at Matthew's Table, one of their taglines to their mission is, you know, bringing the real Jesus to the burnout, the broken, and the bored. You know, that's a statement of emotion. Mm-hmm. Like we want to reach the real hearts of real people and watch them be transformed and turn to something totally different that looks like Jesus. So that that's what I want to be about. And that's what breathes life into me. That's fantastic. Yeah, there's so much uh, more to be said or more to be shared. I, uh, yeah, thank you guys both for, for joining us today and, uh, sparking off this conversation. And, and as you mentioned, uh, people can, uh, sign up to this, uh, new coaching cohort that's centered around 
uh, growing in gospel fluent leadership. So people can check that out. But also I think that there's probably a very realness of, I imagine people listening to this on their Alexas or their Sonos or their drives home and all sorts of things who are probably at the moment, probably sparked by the spirit to have some silence and solitude Mm -hmm. or to call that friend and tell them how they're really doing to ask a few people how they feel and to say how they feel. And so if that's you out there listening, I just, yeah, I encourage you to, to seize that calling from the spirit and to obey it and to, to receive fruit from it. Yeah. Even if it's awkward as Abe described in the beginning. (laughs) um, Yeah. Thank you guys for joining and and thanks for listening in. Uh, We'll share uh, as many resources as we, as we can in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.